It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. So glad to be with you on another Saturday morning. Hey, Ashley Frasca, it's Green and Growing. Yep, you're listening to 95.5 WSB. A full show today and certainly going to start off with your calls in the second hour of the show. I'm excited to let you listen to my visit to Blairsville, Georgia, up in the North Georgia Mountains. That was the last week of September. I went up there with Becky Griffin. You've heard her on the show. She does a lot of community activism around pollinators. So we're going to learn a lot about that in hour number two. Coming up soon in about half an hour, creepy, crawly fall critters with Walter Reeves and Walter's Wondering. You'll learn a lot about the things you're seeing right now. And coming up in hour three, the eight o'clock hour of the show, I talked to Jim Putnam, who is the host of HortTube. You may follow him on Facebook or his YouTube channel, a very good gardener from the North Carolina area. But we're going to be talking about everything camellias. And yes, now is the time to install those, whether it's the Sasanqua, the fall blooming ones, or the Japonica, the winter blooming ones. And of course, an update in the eight o'clock hours we've been doing all month long with Seth Hawkins from the Georgia Forestry Commission, the Georgia Leaf Watch. Where is the best spot right now in our state? to see the beautiful leaf change and the fall color. 404-872-0750. Up first, Rob in Temple. Good morning, Rob. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate you taking my call. Yeah. I've got a uh, flowering bush in my yard I've never seen before. I purchased the house about a year ago, and it already existed, and I've just never run across anything like it. I was going to see if you could help me maybe sort out what it might be. Okay. When's it flowering? Is it flowering right now? It, it flowers right now uh, se- September into October. It's very tall. It's seven to eight feet. Uh, woody, heavy uh, limbs growing straight up. And the flowers come up in clusters and pop out over time separately. And it's got very broad five-point leaves on it. The flowers are pink. Uh, they're very ruffled, almost like a carnation kind of a texture to them. And they don't have an obvious center when you're looking at them. Confederate rose, the branches just go straight? They have no bends or anything like that? Yeah, uh, very straight, very woody branches, three-quarters of an inch. To, some of them are probably an inch at the base. Yeah, that could be Confederate Rose. Yeah, sometimes they'll have pink, sometimes they'll have white, and those do get really, really large. And the good thing, you don't have to prune them, but I do just because after the fall, all the leaves are going to fall off. It's not going to have any more flowers, and it just looks ugly. It's going to be just limmy and stemmy and have no appeal to it whatsoever. So I usually wait until about January or February, and I cut mine completely back. I mean, I cut it all the way back, one by one, every limb, and that kind of keeps the size in check a little bit. Um, Mine is probably about six feet tall as well, so you could at least, by doing that, reduce the size a little bit. But, yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying that. I think that likely may be what you've got. That sounds exactly like what I've got. I'm so glad you said I was terrified to cut the limbs last year when everything fell off of it. And it's uh, so ugly, isn't it? I mean, it's just bare, just wood. That's all it is. So, yeah, definitely feel free to cut that January, February, and you'll start to see the new growth maybe start to come along in April. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Ashley. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Rob. You be safe out there. Catherine on the line calling from Lilburn. Good morning. Good morning. 
this summer, we did some major landscaping in our yard, and I had about 25 pine trees removed. So now we're in the process of uh, we have sod, Bermuda sod in the front, fescue in the back. Mm -hmm. And somebody had mentioned that I might be watering my sod too much. Uh, My whole landscaping's on a slope, so I'm trying to water it accordingly so the water flows. Um, Can I water is it possible to water it too much? It looks kind of like it's taking. The fe- I have several questions. The, f- the fescue in the back, is there anything else I have to do to it this fall? We did put down fertilizer before the landscaper put the seed down, and it's starting to come in quite nicely. And then once it's, um, fully, once it's grown and we can cut it, then I'll fill in the, the brown spots or the patches that we missed. Mm-hmm. And then my final question. Between my house and my neighbors is a big island that had about 10 pine trees in that are all gone. They mulched them up, Mm -hmm. and I had the landscapers remove the mulch. However, there's still some residual mulch, and I want to put some cypress trees in between there. I'm not sure what kind of cypress to put. I just wanted something without cones or a lot of droppings. Okay. And I... I don't know if I need to amend the soil because pine trees were there previously. Okay, okay. So let me go ahead and start off with the sod question. You've got fescue in the back and what in the front? Uh, sod in the front and fescue in the back, yes. Okay. Is oh, it Bermuda. Okay, perfect. And that is the split that a lot of folks do. We have a lot of trees here in Georgia, most of the time in your backyard. So for the fescue, if the seed's starting to come up really nicely, Catherine, that is really a good thing. Oftentimes, the landscape companies that do that seed for you will put pine straw or even wheat straw or something in the spots that are bare just to really hold the seed down. But at this point, if the seed's coming up and it's germinating and you're seeing the blades of grass, that's okay. I don't think there's anything you need to be doing to the fescue. The sod, it is possible to water it a bit too much. And I know it's hard to measure, well, one inch per week. They say one inch per week. Well, how do you really know? So as you're watering that sod, kind of a way to check yourself, put maybe four to six identical containers, little, you know, dishes or whatever, randomly in the area where the sprinkler hits. And plastic cups, you can use anything like that. Let the sprinkler run for an hour. Start with that so we don't overdo it. Measure the depth of the water that's accumulated in each cup. And then kind of figure out that way how long it's going to take to get to an inch of water in the spots that the sprinkler's hitting. Oftentimes, watering longer, less frequently is best. So with with new grass, you probably do need to water every, you know, second, third day or whatever. You just don't want the soil at the top, the one-inch top of the soil to dry out. You don't want that when the seeds are really trying to germinate. But once you lay off and you're only doing it once a week, you let the sprinklers go for a long, long time, that's best. Best time to water, we always say, is in the morning, usually around 10 a.m., give or take a couple of hours on either side. And that's simply because it gives it the entire day to dry out. It's not going to introduce disease or anything. Whereas if you water at night, it's going into the nighttime. And then the dew and all of that on top of that can really introduce some disease and fungus that you don't want on the lawn. But watering in the morning is best. It's easier on us, too, for at least home. If you have an automatic sprinkler system, really make sure you check that because it doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have a mind to know, like, coming up, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to have rain. So you're going to need to override the system so that doesn't come on automatically. So those are pretty good rules of thumb. Always check with your community and your city for any ordinances, you know, against watering and all of that. But I think a lot of that is kind of laxed into this time of year. 
about the evergreens, um, there's a list on Walter's website for something that you want to plant. Like you said, maybe cypresses, arborvitae. There's a ton of good options. Um, go on WalterReeves.com and type in like privacy shrub, privacy hedge, something like that. He has got a really long list of great suggestions for you, things that are evergreen, things that are going to fill in quickly and maybe make for a nice screening. Even camellia. There are some varieties of camellia tree forms that get large. They keep the leaves on. They look beautiful. Those are a good idea, too, if maybe you don't want to go the uh, the evergreen or the conifer route. So I hope that answered all of your questions, Catherine. Thank you so much for the call. I think Daniel and Decula's got a question. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I have a quick question. I have my uh, social grass. Uh, I believe that's how you pronounce it. But beautiful grass is uh, very thick. My grass, it looks perfect. But the problem that I'm having is that it crawls and it goes into my mulching area where I have my trees. I continue to pull it by hand and killing it with a, a, a grass killer. Uh, like Roundup, mm-hmm. but it just continue to uh, crawl, crawl, and invade all those areas. That's How a good, it? <laughs> that's a good and a, and a bad problem because zoysia is known for the runners and being able to spread that way to fill in bare spots and all of that. But yeah, it can often go into the beds where you don't want it. It goes over the curb and starts to look a little messy in the gutter. So I would keep fighting it back, Daniel, with you know glyphosate or a non-selective product. Just please apply that carefully. And on a day that is not windy, but also think about maybe doing a border around your beds. If you could maybe do like a plastic border that may be, you know, three to four inches high, something decorative, but it's also going to be a little practical in that it will keep it from, you know, it'll just stop it right where it's going into the beds. And also if it's, if it's kind of just contained to a certain side of the bed, perhaps leveling a little more mulch on top of that, and it'll just smother the runners out. Um, But I think you're doing the best thing that you can as far as just using kind of a a pesticide or a uh, rather a herbicide to kind of keep that at bay. But consider a border around the bed. Thanks so much for the call. We'll be right back. It's Ashley Frasca. It's Green and Growing on WSB. You know you need it. The update on your weekend weather sponsored by Finley Roofing. So before 7 o'clock, I will get to the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. But back to your calls, 404-872-0750. Michael calling in from Houston, Georgia. Good morning, Michael. What's your question? From the years I listened to Walter, Mm -hmm. if I got my information correct, zoysia was something you planted later in the summer. And if I remember, I think he said it was really not that easy to do from seed it is not could enlighten me on when's a good time to plant it i would appreciate that yeah so seed is really difficult to harvest so it's best established and you're just going to save yourself the heartache the time and the money establishing by laying sod and sod the best time to do that and in the time you're going to find the healthiest sod at the nurseries too may june july i'd try to get it in by early august for sure Um, And not really a heavy feeder either. A lot of folks love that thick carpet-like grass and think, oh my God, I just got to keep throwing all this fertilizer on it. And it actually does a little bit better with less rather than more. And right now is kind of the time we slam on the brakes and you don't fertilize, you don't really need to do anything to it. So ideally, I'd start making your plans, you know, as early as mid-May, Michael, to go ahead and start shopping around for sod. Okay, I appreciate that. And Denny from Auburn, good morning. Good morning. I've got a lot of, I guess you call it mimosa, that's 
growing and it's taking over my lawn, and I need to know how to get rid of that. I, I think it's called mimosa. So do you know what a mimosa tree looks like when it gets yeah. the pretty, you know, fluffy yeah. pink flowers? So, yeah, the weed looks right. a lot like that where it's kind of a little bit of a feathery, um, right. a yeah. feathery, yeah. Sometimes it does get to be too much, so you have to do a properly timed pre-emergent before you even start to see it. So I know that gets pretty prolific in the summertime. So, Denny, what you're going to want to do for sure to get ahead of it is properly timed pre-emergent, like in early March, I would say, to mid-March in the spring. Okay. That's going to combat a lot of it. Do that. And I know it's it's spreading by seed, yanking it out as an option if you're not super, super overwhelmed. But for now, just spraying it. It's best to use like a broadleaf weed killer early on when it's young. Get to it early. Anything that's a three-way chemical, if it has try in the name, if it has 2,4-D, something like that is going to be an effective post-emergent herbicide for chamber bitter mimosa weed. I just felt bad that I didn't throw out chamber bitter. That's more of a common name for it as well. Stopping the slow of it by doing that pre-emergent in the spring is where you're really, really going to benefit. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. I'm glad you called about that one. It's an annoying one. A mimosa tree is pretty, but the mimosa weed, it can't stop, won't stop for sure. Thanks so much for the call. And a reminder, too, if you don't know what this weed looks like and there's others that you still need help identifying... I do that for you on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, follow me there. Sorry, I don't have a website. Uh, I don't think I have the time. But when you go under photos, there are photo albums, and you want to look for the one that says Weed of the Week. And throughout the different seasons, I post the different pictures of weeds. And yes, most of them, most of the photos are taken in my lawn, but that should help you out. Okay, time to check weather and traffic, and we'll be back with Walter Reeves. I'm glad you're here. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. A little after 6.30 on a Saturday morning. Hey, Ashley Frasca with you. You're listening to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. And let me mention, if you miss any parts of the show, you've only missed 30 minutes right right now. But up until 9 o'clock, if you're just like, I can't listen to all three hours. I want you to know you can go on wsbradio.com, click on On Demand, and listen to all three hours there, commercial-free, or go back on Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes, and listen to the show there. And this is always a portion you don't want to miss. If you're not up and at them live with us right now, you go back and listen to Walter Reeves. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG garden guru, Walter Reeves. Your beloved host of the Lawn and Garden Show for 26 years and so glad to still have you on the radio with us, friend. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Hey, I want to know, do you have your Halloween costume picked out yet? Oh, man. I never got really got into Halloween. Oh, but... come on. Oh, 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 oh. I found something in my backyard. Oh, actually. I was so, well, I was sort of so excited. <laughs> sort of so excited. <laughs> How long ago was it? A couple of months ago, we talked about the potential for Joros spiders oh. to that comes through Atlanta and just be everywhere. I found about 10 days ago, I found Joro spiders in my yard in North Cape County. And if we're here, they're going to be way further than this in the next year. I just really anticipate these really, again, not the word for it, but in the spirit of Halloween, these Joro spiders are really coming to town. They're going to come to town and we're going to have a lot more of them next spring than we probably ever would have. They're just that prolific in reproduction. 
Well, and you and I had a conversation about them last year as they were really starting to be noticed. I mean, I think the first one was maybe noticed here in 2016, 2017, but people right. really started paying attention last year during COVID, being outside more and home more. Um, so you and I had a conversation. I posted that on the Facebook page a few weeks ago, Green and Growing WSB, and you, a couple of weeks ago, had a post about Joro spiders, and you and I were on the phone, right. you remember? And you you were watching Facebook as you were on the phone to me, and you were like, Ashley, I just posted about this 10 minutes ago, and I already have like 100 comments. Right, right. I it's mean, people amazing. are nuts. The people in Gainesville, Hall County, Jackson County, uh, the I-85 corridor from Atlanta are covered up. I mean, there's no other way to say it. They're covered up with these Joro spiders. The Joro spiders are different from the righty spider because the righty spider has a little zigzag that we're familiar with that. Everybody has seen the little garden spider, or, you know, large garden spiders that we have had for years and years. The Joro spider is a big spider, as big as your hand, and they make a nest or a web, I guess, that is enormous. And if you get into it, you just want to wipe it off your face and your body, your hair, your head, just all over things. And they're so fast at replicating. They come from China. They come from Asia. Mm-hmm. And they're so fast at replicating. We're, so, we're scared that they will supplant all the native spiders because they're so efficient at, at getting spider food. And, uh, you know, eating the bugs, the beetles, the doll spiders would eat. The Joro spiders eat twice that many. The garden spider that you mentioned, a little more black than yellow, but he's got the yellow yeah, spots. Yeah. But this guy or female, I should say, very yellow with like a red belly. And you're talking about the strength of the web. Susan wrote on my Facebook page that the strength of that web is so amazing. She had one of her birch trees pulled totally to the side because of that. Michael Michael saw him in the Duluth area just all over his porch. Lawrenceville, you're right. They're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even I've heard they can catch hummingbirds. We don't want anything to catch a hummingbird to be around. But I don't know how to control them. There's really no way to control them. There's so many of them. You can control, you know, the, the webs you see on your property. But even if you get all the spider web egg sacs on your property, there's still egg sacs in the woods behind you and around you and other neighbors. You'll never see it. They'll hatch out and just be more of next spring. Yeah, it's not like taking satisfaction from killing the female and think you eradicated them. Like, right. you definitely did no yeah, such thing. And, and she'll they'll all pass away here in the next few weeks anyways when it gets yeah. cold. But they do leave the egg sacs behind. Um, and also to mention... They can bite, right? But it's nothing really more than a bee sting. Yeah. It's not like they're That's venomous. Like any, any spider could bite you if they have a big enough mouth, but the the bite is not going to hurt you. It's not a venomous thing. It's going to really knock you down or anything like that. So no, no worries there. big part of nature is going to be supplanted by these new invasive spiders. Yeah. And I did have someone mention on the show a week or two ago a banana spider, but that's different, right? Different, yeah. That's a regular... Golden orb weavers, all part of the same family of spiders, orb weavers, and so they make a nest that's big and wide. And uh, the golden orb, golden silk orb weaver is a normal natural banana spider that we see commonly around Georgia. So when you see those webs, I mean, they are big. Sometimes they have a golden kind of hue. You can just admire them, make sure you don't walk into them. But do check them. Like you said, hummingbirds. I mean, that's definitely something. I did have a comment from one person who did save a hummingbird out of that web. That was great. If you're walking in the woods, you better have a stick to catch the front of you to catch the net. The, the webs will wind them up and fold. You know, get them out of, out of the air in front of your face. Yeah. Now, what else is kind of, uh, you know, creating like a web-like structure in our yards or maybe our trees or something that we're seeing uh, this time of year? 
you know, fall webworms are still out there. Uh, fall webworms get yeah. up in the trees and eat the leaves off of them. And again, that's one. If you pull the webs down, you do the great job of giving the wasps and hornets something to eat at the end of the year. So that's how you control them. And there's still, you know, some caterpillars that are coming out of trees. The uh, pickery horn devil, a huge caterpillar, supposed to be a hot dog. Oh, it comes out of the trees. Yeah, as long I forgot as there's about him. Leaves in a tree. As long as the leaves and the sweet gum, poplar, uh, hickory trees, there will be the uh, hickory horn devil coming out of the tree. So they pupate. They have to pupate in the ground. So they have to come out of the tree into the ground. And they're big and huge. and look scary, but they don't bite or anything. They're really big and a lot of people get pretty excited when they see a big caterpillar like that. No kidding. Yeah, gee whiz. Caterpillars I don't see too many of, which kind of bums me out, but maybe I'm just not looking in the right place. But something that I do see a lot of this time of year, I mean, I hate it. I, I hate it. I don't go out after dark for this very reason. Cockroaches. <laughs> like, oh my God, I would rather see a yeah. snake. Uh, why? Why are they a thing uh, yeah. in the fall? I mean, I know they're they're always around. Well, they survive nuclear blasts, but why are they... In the fall, they're everywhere. Yeah, because the population grows and, you know, sort of expands through the summer when it's nice and warm. And because fall, they'll say, yeah, this is great. It's, you know, it's getting warmer and warmer. And then it gets colder and colder. They think, oh, Ashley's house is warm inside there. Let's go to with Ashley and her dog, Shadow, and, and run around inside the house and scared to death. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I just can't. I can't. And, you know, you say, like, I just mentioned, oh, you kill one Joro spider, don't feel that accomplished because, like, their uh, egg sac is somewhere. When I kill one roach, uh, though, I feel like I have saved the world. Like, I feel so good about killing that one roach. I, if I could kill millions, I would. If you want to save the world from roaches in your house, Ash, the easiest thing, the best thing to kill roaches is a bait station. Because that way, all the roaches you can't see, you don't stomp and you don't, you don't kill yourself. They find that bait station, they take poison in the bait station back to the roach family in the walls or outside of wherever they live. And that bait is poisoned just lightly enough to kill them, and they will die as a family together, and you don't have to touch them. You don't have to do anything to them. You don't have to see them or anything. I love roach bait stations. They really do a good job. I know, but, like, I don't even want to see it. Like, I don't want to leave it somewhere where I see it because then I have to think about it. You know? Well, we can shout and put it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play hide and seek, Mom. Behind the refrigerator, <laughs> behind the refrigerator under the kitchen sink. There's places where your eyes don't catch it anymore than that one time you uh, place it, then that's good. Yeah, and then, like, forget about it. And not to keep talking about them because they gross me out so much. And I, I do have good pest control. So they're more of a nuisance, like, on my back deck at night. And then you uh-huh. turn on the light and they scatter. My God, I hate that. When yeah. they're in the house, and when I find them, they're dead, which is good. But how in the world do they flip over onto their backs? Like, that seems like a lot of effort when you're on your <laughs> way out to go ahead and, like, flip over, and then you're just stuck. Like, I, I've never actually seen one physically flip and then go, oh, no. That's a great question. Yeah. I don't know. That's a great avenue for research. Why do roaches <laughs> flip over on their back? One of our listeners right now can tell us, call, I just want to call, call this afternoon or this morning, I mean, and tell Ashley why roaches slip over on the back. Come on, guys from Arrow, Breda, where are you at? Where are you at? I'm, I hope my mom's yeah. not listening to this segment because if my mom is listening to this, she has already turned off the radio. <laughs> roaches are not our thing. They're just not. So any other bugs or critters or things we need to be concerned with this time of year that are really starting to kind of hunker down for the cold weather? Yeah, that's pretty much that. I think I mentioned oh, a couple of weeks ago that fire ants, if you see a fire ant mount in the fall, there's a golden opportunity to, to control them. Same deal, they're feeding, they're eating, and any bait you can get that you can put on the mound is what they take down to the queen. So fire ant mounds, anytime you see a mound, put a bait on it. 
Let me ask you about moles in my yard. I'm not really mowing yeah. much anymore, but the mole tunnels are crazy. I know, so they're going after grubs, which my yard must be yeah. full of grubs. Um, is now a time to treat that, or are they going to not be a problem? You can chase moles around by trees and grubs and things like that, but they eat earthworms too, and you don't have any pesticides to control earthworms. And so while you may not have many grubs in your yard, you can still have a mole problem because they eat earthworms. Well, we like and the earthworms. I don't want to kill them. Yeah, right? we like them. Yeah. So, you know, my, my advice still says the easiest way to do it is to get out there with these big flat shoes and stomp, stomp the bounce down. Oh, I do. Do you know how foolish I look? Down. And I have new neighbors on both uh, yeah. sides of me, and that's probably <laughs> what they've seen me do. And they're thinking, I'm not introducing myself to her. Like, I stomp like down the tunnels. <laughs> yeah, what is she doing? She's doing a dance? What kind of dance <laughs> is she doing? I don't want to talk to her. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's pretty nutty. But if that's what you got to do, I guess that's what you got to do. You know, if a Great Dane had big feet, you could put shoes on Shatter. That would be awesome for mole patrol. Oh, she would. Shatter she would go out there. With, down the... Yeah, big old clown feet, as it is. But if I put shoes on her, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Walter, thank you so much for catching us up to date on all the creepy crawly things that we're seeing. Next Saturday, really starting to get into cooler temperatures. So thinking ahead to November and December, what we need to be doing about overwintering some of our favorite things like mandevilla, hibiscus, all those oh, yeah. things, maybe a lemon tree that we want to move inside, but, you know, keep it alive. Yeah, so can I ask you about that next week? As long as you don't put a picture of Shadow with her clown shoes on <laughs> and my brain That's so funny. That That's would so be so funny. cute. Oh, God. If anyone has not seen my Great Dane, my best friend, Shadow, jump over to the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page because I post videos and pictures of her all the time because she's just so stinking cute. Um, and, Walter, you're cute, too. <laughs> Where can folks see your, your friendly Ooh. mug online? You can see me at WalterReeves.com, the prettiest gardener in Atlanta, except for you, actually, of course. Oh, that's too sweet. Well, and also, like, <laughs> when you go to WalterReeves.com, they can pick up your books, too. Those are still available yeah, for order. Yeah, Christmas is coming. I hate to say it, but Christmas is coming. And a good gardening book by your favorite gardener, Walter Reeves, would not be a bad guest. Do you autograph WalterReeves.com. Well, if you ask you so, I would. Hey. Sure. Okay. All right. Good deal. So we'll hop over WalterReeves.com. Hey, thanks, friend. Talk to you next Saturday. See you next Saturday, Ashley. Going to take a break and check traffic and weather. It's green and growing on WSB. Ugh, I still have the heebie-jeebies after that conversation with Walter. A great conversation about bugs. I hate that I even thought about, brought up, talked about cockroaches, though. But nevertheless, the Joro spider, that really seems to be a hot topic of conversation. Now, no longer just for folks in northeast Georgia, but really around the metro Atlanta area. Again, it's that bigger, the female is a bigger yellow spider, long black legs with yellow stripes, and the giveaway is the red belly. The male is a little bit smaller, more brown, but that's how you know the difference between an orb weaver, a banana spider. Those are something different. So follow Walter on Facebook. If you don't already, Georgia Gardner or me, Green and Growing WSB on Facebook. That's certainly something we'll talk about as the season winds down. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, need to get to it. Number one, divide irises and daylilies as the leaves start to fade. Now, it's not something you have to do every year, but if they've become overcrowded like irises do, it's a good idea. If you need to divide them, want to share them with other people, now is a great time to do that. Number two, start working to eliminate invasive vines like kudzu, poison ivy, and other weedy vines, maybe even wisteria if you have a problem with that. They're more susceptible to chemical control this time of year. Repeat applications of something like uh, bioadvanced brush killer 
or Ortho's Ground Clear are going to do really well for you. And the more you can remove manually by hand, probably the better off you're going to be. And number three, trim tropical hibiscus and plan to move those indoors. Get that trimmed pretty soon if you even need to. Remember to not put it near a drafty door, window, or vent when you bring it in. And speaking of houseplants, I did get a message on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page from Michael recently. Said, Ashley, I have hundreds of houseplants and pots that I keep on the back deck, and they do quite well all summer. want to bring them in, but I'm always scared of the bugs that may have burrowed into the dirt. Is there a good way to ensure that they're bug-free before I bring them in? So, yes, look out for the different types of bugs. Spider mites, aphids, those you'll see. Best way is to blast those off with a garden hose while they're outside, then let it dry before bringing it in. And I'd always have an insecticidal soap handy for some of the other bugs you may combat in the wintertime inside the house. For fungus gnats, those that hover close to the soil surface, allow the soil to dry out completely before bringing that in and also in between waterings. That's really going to cut them down. If there's still a problem, though, a thin layer of sand on the top of the soil is going to be okay. Still remember to water, though, at the base of the plant when you do water rather than from overhead or putting water in the saucer at the bottom of the pot, that's going to be the best thing to do. Okay, coming up in the next hour, can't wait to share with you my trip to Blairsville, the North Georgia mountains a few weeks back to visit with Becky Griffin at the UGA Mountain Research and Education Center. So some stories about why you may not be seeing as many apples at the orchards this time of year. Plus, if you are looking into becoming a beekeeper, she has great advice. That and more, it's Green and Growing on WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.